from 230 Euclid Avenue, I'm Marnie Munoz. You're listening to the Daily Orange Podcast. Today, we talk about Syracuse history and the lesser-known landmarks that make the city what it is today. The Daily Orange Culture staff presents Syracuse Stables. It's Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. I think it was two, two and a half weeks ago, we reached out to David Haas, who runs the Syracuse History Instagram and Twitter accounts, and he just goes around the city, finds old places or old buildings, and finds these wild stories behind them. I, uh, I talked with him for a bit just about places throughout the city that are interesting in some way, have a backstory, and that students can actually go to. Because a lot of the times, students will kind of go to Armory Square, maybe Destiny, and uh, not really see much else throughout the city. So just to kind of get creative, we reached out to Haas and a couple other people and kind of found a few places that students can go to and that have an interesting backstory. My name is Gabe Stern, and I'm the enterprise editor at The Daily Orange. So Gabe, to the average non-local SE student, what does the city typically hold and represent to them? I'd say mostly like Armory Square and Destiny, and I don't think people really give too much thought to the rest of the city. I think especially for, you know, SU students not from around here. So we just tried to expand places that people are interested in and where people can kind of go throughout the city. And a lot of the places are kind of intertwined with the city's history. So there's a four floor antique shop that used to be a textile mill back when, back in the industrial age. There's also Tip Hill, which has a really good bar scene as well as the only upside down stoplight in the U.S. because it's a very Irish area and people used to throw rocks at the stoplight because the red was on top of the green and there was a rivalry between British red and Irish green. So there are sort of a lot of backstories and a lot of places that students may not know about throughout the city that could be really interesting to go to. So that was kind of the idea for the project. I want to take some time to talk about, you know, beyond the sites that you chose to highlight for this piece, I want to talk more about the city itself and symbolically, what does it mean? So When we talk about average non-local SU students, what would you say the average incoming freshman, what do they see? Well, I think there's a very, very large divide between SU students and the city, whether that be, you know, the north side or the south side or Tip Hill or Strathmore. Students don't really think to go there. And I think they see it just kind of as just kind of another place. And a lot of students, depending on the area, might see some of these places as like either dangerous or not much to do. And this is kind of trying to show that there's a lot to do and there's a lot of history to these places and that the city shouldn't just be Armory Square and Destiny. I think a lot of it like depends on where students come from because there are a lot of, I guess, different students on campus. But a lot of students do come from suburban areas along, I guess, the East Coast. And with Syracuse, I feel like people kind of see the city as old or a lot of, like as a lot of students might see it as not like appealing to really explore. And I think that's kind of something that people don't really reach out and go into the city other than, and then I, I guess I keep bringing it back to like the only place people go is Armory Square or Destiny. But I feel like people kind of see it as parts of it is like old or dusty, as you mentioned. And I think it's more than that. And so in your first year at SU, how did you see the city personally? I mean, what spaces and people did you most often interact with? 
So I really went into the city, again, like Armory Square and Destiny, and I didn't really see much else. And then I would go out to cover a few things, but I didn't really know a lot of like the different neighborhoods and I'm still learning a lot of the neighborhoods. And I think, I guess it was sophomore year, I did Literacy Corps, which is a tutoring program for the city school district. And there are programs at SU that can kind of get you out into the city, but it's not a ton of them. And I don't think a ton of students really like take that initiative or take the initiative to go out beyond, you know, the downtown area. So I think freshman year, it was pretty limited what I knew just about the different neighborhoods and about the different parts of the city. Um, and so, yeah, I guess it was pretty limited back then. I would say the same for myself. I spent six months at school my freshman year and then dipped. Haven't been back since. But the only places that I went were downtown City Hall and occasionally the mall. But I didn't have the means to transport myself all that much. And so for me, it was just back and forth, wherever the free bus takes you, and that's about it. I would say that's, yeah, I think you're right when you say, like, that's pretty much the average incoming student experience, unless you're local to the city. Yeah, and, like, nothing else is really promoted. Like, there's there's Citrus in the city in Armory Square, and I, I think there's, you know, sometimes, like, shuttles that go directly to Destiny, but, like, in terms of what's promoted to students and what students, like, kind of know about when they come in, it's next to none, and there isn't really, like, much that's clear to students that kind of show the rest of the city beyond that. And I think a lot of people like will go through, you know, four years and not really visit anywhere other than the main spots that people already know about. And I think that's just kind of like, nothing's really promoted at the Hill beyond the downtown destiny and places around that. And of course, basically every university event will begin with that statement acknowledging Onondaga Nation land. But I mean, beyond that, would you say that even local indigenous communities are all that visible from our place on top of the hill? No, I don't think so. And I think really that statement is, is kind of the, it's one of, I guess, a few things I've seen, but not really all that much. And again, like to the student who's just kind of going through their four years there, it's not very visible at all. You know, students really kind of have to make an effort to see, you know, the city in its entirety and local indigenous communities. And I think, yeah, there, there definitely is a pretty big disconnect there. And so let's talk about this project then. Syracuse Staples is what you're calling it. These places that the guide highlights, what sort of locations are there? What kind of variety are we seeing here? We tried to get a bit of a variety. There's Elmwood Park. That's right near Corcoran High School on the city's south side. And that actually has a ton of history to it. It all the way back to the War of 1812, where they manufactured bullets there. And then it was a actually 19th century resort and also a resort in 1908. In the 19th century, it was a resort for the temperance movement, which was like a precursor to prohibition. So it was just like this resort and like there was no alcohol there and it was like people were against consumption of alcohol. And so like walking there, you wouldn't, it's a, it's a really beautiful place. I didn't think in the 1800s it was like a resort. I mean, one of the, the jewels, I think, of Syracuse as a municipality is its park system. Um, it's really old. I mean, the city started putting parks up, uh, you know, in the, again, in the wake of the Civil War. Um, some places like, I mean, Fayette Park have been parks even before that. I mean, Frederick Douglass came and spoke in Fayette Park in the 1840s. Then there's the Barnes-Hiscock House, which is on the National Register for Historical Places. And that was a really big part of the Underground Railroad movement, which Syracuse played a big part of. And there are tours of the house. It, there's a lot of history on abolitionists there. 
that's also a really interesting place as well. So we tried to get like a variety of outdoor places, indoor places, places with history and places with just like quirky people who work there. So, so we did try to get that variety there. Right. It seems like the history itself is pretty intersectional then as well. Yeah. And everything's connected. Like Syracuse, I mean, it was taken on Onondaga land by white settlers. It boomed with the Seneca Turnpike. Yeah, Syracuse goes through a major growth period in the, after the uh, Civil War. I mean, uh, the North uh, ramps up its industrialization in Syracuse, uh, which had been, you know, the primary source of uh, salt for the United States, and and the salt business had been really successful here, and that had brought people, um, and obviously all the feeder industries and things like that, furniture, haberdashers, clothing manufacturers. I mean, there was just about everything done here. But after the Civil War, you saw a real increase because uh, there was more. Uh, factories were being built. They were being expanded, shoe factories, um, iron factories, and things like that. So this was a place for a real opportunity. And so you saw a lot of uh, migration from other places, other cities in New York and from uh, New England and uh, places that came into Syracuse. And, and uh, it really turned into a, a major industrial center. It had industry, and then it was redlined. And then the city was really split by redlining and the racist housing policies that you wrote about. And all that's connected here in the different places that we tried to get a variety because to show like the different areas of the city and not just sort of like all in one place. I mean, a lot of these places are kind of connected to the city, the city's history. And then other places are just, again, like quirky characters or just like, you know, fun places to go. Yeah. And so tell me a bit about these places. Let's Let's start with the outdoors. Where in Syracuse first drew the team's attention? David Haas, and actually this is something most SU students know about. David Haas is one of his favorite places is Oakwood Cemetery because of the history there. You know, a lot of groups that are actually trying to preserve history there and that give tours or give walks throughout the cemetery. And you wouldn't really think of like a cemetery as a place to go hang out. Like I remember, I mean, freshman year, I, I went there and I'm like, why, why are we like here? But it actually is, there's a lot of history and a lot of cool structures there. Outdoors, there is also Elmwood Park, like I mentioned, on the city's south side. And it's a place where there's a creek that runs through it. There are hiking trails, there are running trails. I know there's a lot of bikers on campus, and it's a really great place to bike as well. And there are, again, with the history there, it's not like reading a history textbook, but there are signs throughout the park. And then there's the downtown Eastwood area, which... Um, Robert Searing of the Onondaga Historical Association said it could be a place where, like, if the cars were different, you might think it's, you know, 1954 because, you know, most of the buildings are exactly the same. A few of the storefronts are the same. Most have changed. And then outdoors, there's also Hiawatha Lake and Onondaga Park, which is just a beautiful park, which has, you know, over a century of history to it. Why, I guess, with the pandemic going on, have have these areas been seeing more SU students heading towards them, or is it still relatively unknown for most of these areas? I think besides Oakwood, it's still, like, pretty unknown. Like, I, I know, you know, people gather at Thorndon Park to watch the sunset at the Water Tower because it's just so close to SU campus and everybody kind of knows about it. With Elmwood Park, I don't really believe a lot of students will either bike or drive or run down there, spend a day there. Aside from Oakwood, I mean, even with the pandemic, even with wellness days, I don't think a lot of these places have seen a lot of foot traffic from SU students. And now let's move on to the, like, the commercial side of things. Can you tell me more about the commercial areas that you chose to highlight? Commercial areas, so there's the uh, the Syracuse Antique Exchange, and that one really stuck out to me. It's, like, 
four stories of just antiques with different local vendors who are just selling off their antiques. But the exchange itself, it's in a really tall brick building that was a textile mill during Syracuse's industrial age. And there's a bell there where you can kind of ring it and you can get information from someone who works there just because the building itself is like pretty massive. There's the Kind Coffee Company, and that's one David Haas recommended just because of the person who owns the store. He's a character and he really tries to convince each new customer to try the coffee black because he says if like a coffee is good enough, then it should stand alone just by itself. So we try to get sort of a variety of both history and characters with different places. I mean, for the areas that you visited personally, I mean, what was it like for you to walk through them? Had you been there before? So I actually, funny story, tested positive for COVID about a week ago. So I'd been to Elmwood Park before. I actually had to write about downtown Eastwood through the phone calls and Molly went and took pictures. So she relayed some information. So that was just challenging on my end and not ideal. But I think the writers, the rest of the writers who went to the places they were writing about, I think it was a really cool activity to do, especially as it was getting warm out. Like not only like, is it a cool project, but I think, you know, people had a good time working on it, going to these different places. I think Chris Garglado got like lost in Oakwood Cemetery or something. So he's just kind of like wandering around there. But I think people got value from like going to the places as well. Can you describe what it's like to walk through Elmwood Park? Elmwood is like its own little valleys. There's a really big incline and like the houses on the bordering streets are just like looking down. You don't even think you're in like Syracuse. Like it, it could, you could literally be anywhere walking through Elmwood Park. The creek there, it's like a constant stream and there's a mini waterfall. So like if you plop down in the middle of Elmwood Park, just like randomly, and you ask like 10 people, like, where is this? I think you'd get 10 different answers. It's really like you drive up there and it's kind of just like its own little thing. It's very secluded. And so walking through there, like it's completely different than anywhere else in the city, I think, just because it's own place and it's a cut through to Corcoran High School and it's it's in the Southside area. But it's like there you walk in there and you're just kind of like enveloped in it. And so that was really cool to just kind of walk along the stream and walk through it. You spoke with Robert Searing from the Onondaga Historical Association. How did he help you with this project? He is a curator at the Onondaga Historical Association. He actually, you know, himself put up some of the signs along Onondaga Creek that show you, like, the area used to be or the historical significance of it. Eastwood itself was really, really interesting. It was actually, like, its own municipality back in the 19th century when it was incorporated. I think it was 1895 or 96. People lived right outside the city and could commute in. As Syracuse expanded with the industrial jobs moving in and then like the theater scene, Eastwood also started to expand. And so it was 1920s where actually it was Eastwood's transit system. It had like a trolley program, an electric trolley program, flooded with so many people that they couldn't really keep up with it. So that's when they went into Syracuse. But what's really interesting is like it was its own municipality. So it has its own like little like downtown stretch and it has a lot of the uh, same stores those main streets are basically still the same buildings that they were in the 40s and 50s. They're obviously, some of them are vacant. There are different sorts of services in there now. But, I mean, that that little strip is there. Um, you know, there's a great, you know, one of that great little neighborhoods there, uh, Dalton's Antique Shop. And uh, it's in an old pharmacy. And then the building is still basically exactly the same. So there's that nice little corner there that, that is, uh, and you can still sort of see where the sign used to be. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's those things. But, I mean, I think, you know, the Palace Theater uh, is really that that area of Eastwood is is I think the part where you could be plopped down in 1954, and with you know if the cars were different you could you could still you know get away with thinking it was the mid 1950s.
I talked to John Good, the owner of Books and Melodies, which is a used bookstore and record shop. And he had no idea, but he found a book that said, that had Eastwood Bookshop on it. And it had the same address as Books and Melodies from the 1930s. So he had no idea that, you know, his shop in the same building was you know, now it's a used book and record shop. And then before that, it was a bookstore again. And just all these places are very, very distinct. He also spoke with you about Hiawatha Lake. What is the historical significance of that lake to Syracuse? It was actually a really big uh, swimming spot back in the early 20th century. Reservoir up there, and that was the Wilkinson Reservoir. Um, And that's really what, uh, that was the base of Hiawatha Lake. So in 1910, um, they turn the old reservoir into Onondaga Lake, and you see them build um, this, this sort of iconic gazebo there, which was a bandstand, um, and there used to be this little sort of a boat-esque craft that would take uh, the bands out to to the bandstand. And so, I mean, and, and then when they, when that neighborhood, you know, that Strathmore neighborhood was was popping off, that was a major major uh, gathering place. But uh, I know people used to love to swim. Um, in Hiawatha Lake, which is sort of, I think, hard for us to imagine, but the but the but the, the house there, the uh, that beautiful brick structure back there, that swimming house, uh, is is sort of a remnant of that. But there used to be a diving board off the top. We've got some great pictures of people jumping in that. But it was incredibly deep, and it was very dark, and it was very murky, and, and drownings were common um, in Hiawatha Lake, which is actually one of the reasons that they ended up closing it, uh, it closing it down. In the 30s, the city said maybe not swim there. So, but that's a spot that was has really kind of been a meeting spot for the Strathmore neighborhood back in the day. What are you hoping Syracuse students take away from this project and these places? For SU students, just like going to some of these places, a lot of you know students are you know they'll go to Armory Square or Destiny, but there's like so much more than that, and there are places throughout the city that a have are really significant historically. But even if you don't care about that kind of stuff, that are just like genuinely fun places to go to. I hope, you know, it just kind of expands what people think of as places to go in the city. And for people who are interested in the history, people who live in the city, SU students, learning a lot a lot about some of the historical significance of these places as well. And just how, like, everything in the city is kind of intertwined and connected. Gabe Stern is the enterprise editor for The Daily Orange. You can read this story, Syracuse Staples, at dailyorange.com. Gabe, thanks so much for your time. It's good to see you, Marnie. special thank you to Enterprise Editor Gabe Stern and the entire Daily Orange Culture staff who put this together. Thanks Executive Producer Adam Garrity and Podcast Editor Mariah Humiston. She co-wrote part of our script this week. And of course, to our producers Abby Fritz, Kylie Herlihy, and Catherine Ito. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next Tuesday.